Let's look at the first six verses here in 2 Kings chapter 8. We're speaking about uh, Elisha, the prophet. Uh, obviously, Elijah's off the scene. Now, Elisha, his successor. Uh, we've seen Gehazi, who was a servant of Elisha. And um, Elisha, obviously, uh, well, Gehazi made a very grave mistake in regards to taking uh, the goods from Naaman. And uh, today, we're going to be talking about reaping the harvest of sins. Now, Eliphaz, here in uh, uh, 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 1, would you follow along with me as I read the first six verses of 2 Kings 8? Then spake Elisha unto the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise, and go thou and thine household, and sojourn wheresoever thou canst sojourn. For the Lord hath called for a famine, and it shall also come upon the land seven years. And the woman arose and did after the saying of the man of God, and she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. And it came to pass at the seven years end that the woman returned out of the land of the Philistines, and she went forth to cry unto the king for her house and for her land. And the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, I pray thee, all the great things that Elijah hath done. It came to pass, as he was telling the king how he had restored a dead body to life, that, behold, the woman, whose son he had restored to life, cried to the king for her house and for her land. Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, this is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him, So the king appointed unto her a certain officer, saying, Restore all that was hers and all the fruits of the field since the day that she left the land even until now. And uh, in the story of Job, if you look in the Bible, uh, Job chapter 4, verse 8, Eliphaz said some, said some pretty foolish things uh, about his suffering friend Job. He also stated some eternal principles. And you remember those, quote-unquote, three friends of Job. Job has just lost his family. He's lost his career. He's lost his house. He's lost his children. I, I, I mean, you want to talk about someone who is down, uh, uh, down, on li- down in life and in the valley of life and in the, gr- the, the greatest things. I mean, even his own wife tells him, curse God and die. And, and uh, Job is in a very difficult spot. And then... Then he has health problems from the head of his, the top of his head to the sole of his foot, it tells us he has boils. He's in pain, he's, he's in emotional pain, he's in physical pain, he's in spiritual pain. I mean, Job is like life has ended, but I'm still alive, and he even asked requests to die. And uh, his friends, I mean, they are definitely of no good uh, in the, the help and encouragement. And I find it interesting what happened at the end, where God... Uh, Job had to forgive them and make a sacrifice for them. But in Job chapter 4, verse 8, even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. Now, here's the truth. And, re- and, and Solomon would even repeat this truth. Would you look with me briefly at Proverbs 22, 8? Proverbs, turn with me over to Psalms, Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 8. Now, here's the thing, and I, and I heard this saying many years ago. You can choose the sin... But you can't choose what? The consequences. You can't choose the consequences of a life of sin. And in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 8, it says, He that soweth iniquity shall reap vanity, and the rod of his anger shall fail. So you sow iniquity, what do you reap? Vanity, emptiness, foolishness. And, uh, and that's exactly what happened. The prophet Hosea would put it uh, graphically when he said, For they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. It hath no stalk, the bud shall yield no meal. 
If so be it yield, the stranger shall swallow it up. So Jeroboam, Omri, and Ahab, kings of the northern kingdom of the ten tribes of Israel, had all lived, they polluted, polluted the land in idolatry. And now the day of judgment had arrived for Ahab's dynasty. The day that the prophet Elijah had predicted, 1 Kings 21, he predicts. He's in 1 Kings 21, 21. He says, behold, this is Elijah. If you want to look with me here, uh, 1 Kings 21, 21. And I'm just kind of laying some foundation. Sometimes you might be thinking, I can get away with sin. God didn't do anything now. God didn't do anything tomorrow, or a month from now, or a year from now, or maybe even several years from now. But guarantee it, there's going to come a day where your consequences of your actions will catch up with you. And you will not like the consequences. And in uh, 1 Kings chapter 21, 21, uh, as Elijah tells Ahab, remember Elijah before Elisha, and um, behold, I will bring upon thee and will take away thy posterity. He says, listen, I'm going to take away your children that will no longer be uh, the kings and will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall and him that is shut up and left in Israel. I mean, that's pretty graphic uh, on what he's saying. Uh, He just very clearly says, listen, the men of your family will be cut off. uh, They're going to be dead, you know. And in 1 Kings 21, 29, though, Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? So God gave a judgment to Ahab for all the wickedness he and Jezebel had committed and enacted upon the land. It says, because he humbleth himself upon me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. And so Ahab gets the judgment of God and he's like, oh my, God forgive me. You see, that's the response that God wants from us. When, when we commit sin, there's consequences of sin. The, the proper recourse or the proper response to the, the, the pain of sin, the consequences of it, is repentance and humble ourselves and say, God, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. And plead for the mercy of God to withhold further judgment. You see, sin will be punished and God's will is accomplished despite the sinfulness of his people. Now, eventually, in this passage of Scripture in 2 Kings 8, uh, the event had to take place uh, before the healing of Naaman, which we saw in 2 Kings 5, because in 2 Kings 5, uh, Naaman, he goes out, he gets, after Naaman is healed in the water, he dips seven times in the Jordan River, uh, he wants to give a whole bunch of money and stuff to Elijah, Elijah says, or to Elisha, excuse me, and, he, and Elisha says no. So Gehazi chases after him and said, oh, I came, he, he changed his mind and I want to take these garments. And, and, uh, and then Elisha, Gehazi lied to Elisha and, and uh, it was told him, it said, you, Gehazi, and all of your descendants will have leprosy and you're done from the ministry. So this had to appear before this. Now, it wasn't likely that a king would welcome a leper into their palace. As you can recall, in Jewish law, lepers were to be outside the colony, outside the community. And, uh, but anyways, this account reminds us of the greatness of the Lord. An event follows, really reveals the sinfulness of the people. and gives us a reminder that God is great, and he accomplished his will in spite of of a very wicked nation. And you know, sometimes we can think in our lives, how can God work in such evil, wicked, debaucherous, awful times? How can God work? 
Well, God still works. And God controls the nature, as we find here, 2 Kings chapter uh, 8, verses 1 and 2. And, um, you know, and the, the Lord hath called for a famine, shall come upon the land seven years. And the, she, this, woman, this woman arises and did after the saying of the man of God, she went with her household. And so he tells this woman, he says, listen, there's a famine coming to the land. Go to the Philistines' land for seven years. So he's sparing her. Now, God is using this famine to chastise his people. What is chastisement? Well, there's, there's the warning of God. Then there's the discipline of God. And then there is the serious discipline. That's chastisement. Chastisement is God is going to get your attention one way or the other. And uh, that's exactly, and God promises that. Deuteronomy 28, he says, if my people uh, go, essentially, the idea is, if they go away from me, Deuteronomy 28, 17, and 48 talks about this, but the covenant obligations, if you go away from me, one of the consequences will be famine. And uh, the prophet warned the woman, he says, escape. So the same woman, I mean, this lady has been blessed over and over and over again. So it started off at, here she is in, 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 uh, in this whole scenario. You know, she, had a, she was very kind to Elijah and then Elisha. And, and, and God just really worked in this woman's life. And telling her, leave. Leave the area because there's bad times coming. You want to know something interesting about that very thing? I, I found it interesting in my own life. Three weeks before my wife and I were to get married, I was fired from a job. Because I told him, I said, listen, I don't work Sundays and I don't work Wednesdays because I had church. And, uh, and I, that was part of my agreement. I, I didn't change the agreement after I started working there. But anyways, and uh, I was training for the ministry. I said, I, I, I drive the bus. I pick up kids on Wednesdays and just have a ministry. I, I've, I've got to do it. And the guy told me, you need to come in tonight. I said, I'm sorry. I can't come in at all. We had an evangelistic service. We had other things going on. And this is three weeks before I'm to get married. And I'm like, you know. But you want to know something amazing? God had already confirmed to me several weeks before I was fired that I needed to start looking for a job elsewhere. He confirmed it within my heart. So I found another job, and within just several days of leaving, of being let go of that job, I had another job. And it paid a lot more, which was nice. And so God, God just worked his hand and, you know, and knew how to protect. But it was just interesting being you know, fired three weeks before I was to be married. And it was a job that would not have been very uh, good and for us being newly married. But anyways, you know, and, and so God spares this woman. And, uh, you know, in Psalm 105, 16, moreover, he called for a famine upon the land. He break the whole staff of bread. You know, oftentimes in our lives, there's, our society has this mentality uh, of a global warming, all these sorts of things happening, uh, all the, you know, and over in other countries and other continents and natural disasters and all of these things happening. But as we read the scriptures, we understand that God still has a control of the weather. God is still in charge of the crop yields. So is you can plant some of the best crops on the best soil and it can still produce nothing if God says you're not going to have anything. So what is necessary, more than trying to, I mean, yes, you need to work hard. Yes, we need to till the soil. Yes, we, you know, but in times of discipline and distress, if God's people would pray and confess, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, a famous verse, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and, and then he goes on, then will I heal their land. 
and, and turn away, you know, the, what's going on uh, towards them, the, the, the discipline of them. But when we ignore God's word, when a nation uh, goes away and, 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 and goes far away from God and goes into paganism and idolatry, that nation will inevitably suffer great problems. God will remind us of who's in charge. In verse 3 of 2 Kings 8, the God controls life and death. At the end of seven years, a woman returned out of the land of the Philistines, and she went forward to cry to the king for her house and for her land. And the king talked with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, I pray thee, all the great things that Elisha hath done. It came to pass, as he was telling the king how he had restored a dead body to life, that, behold, the woman whose son he had restored to life cried to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. So the woman flees for seven years. She comes back, her and her son. She's by herself. She comes back after seven years, and other people have taken over her land. She has no children. Uh, you know, she didn't have any children other than her son. Her husband, you know, if you think about Sarah, when Sarah was old, Abraham, you know, was old too, and and God finally gave them a child. And this woman's old and she has a child. But God allows us to keep us among the living. Psalm 66, 19. Uh, in whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Acts 17, 28. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. In him we live and move and have our being. I want to ask you this question this morning. Do you live life with the understanding that the breath you have, the place, the provision you have in your life is from God? Ecclesiastes 8.8, 8, There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war, neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. You can try with the best medicine to retain your life. But if your life is up, your life is done. Hopefully you've made the decision to put your faith in Christ. And this is, this is where in Christianity, many people, many believers, they live their lives thinking that I can control the destiny of my life. I can control the, the, the direction, the journey of my life. But God is not concerned with me controlling my destiny because he has a plan. He has something that is the best for me. He set the boundaries. He set what is good for us. And the way to that is a relationship with God. Remember, Adam and Eve, they deviated from that, and obviously there was grave consequences. But God had a plan for their life. He says, be fruitful and multiply, you know, take care, steward the land, be, you know, watch over the earth. You deviate, and it always brings death. And God providentially controls the events of life. You know, in, in this very passage of Scripture, 
Verse 6, and when the king asked the woman, she told him, so the king appointed to her a certain officer, saying, Restore all that was hers, and all the fruits of the field since the day that she left the land, even until now. At the very moment, Gehazi's standing before the king. He's telling the king about this woman whose son was restored to life by Elijah, or by, uh, restored to life, and uh, the resurrection miracle of this child. So she goes back home. Strangers are in her land. Now she left for seven years. That's quite a bit of time to leave. And, uh, you know, and so it was common in those days to bring your problems directly to the king, much like if we were to bring our problems straight to the prime minister. And Gehazi is there as a witness saying, I know this woman, I know it's her land, Uh, I, I saw the miracle of her child brought back to life. Realize this, what was a bitter experience of the death of her child would later be used to be the blessing to return her land to her. Think about this. In the preservation of her property, Gehazi tells the king, he says, listen, God restored her son his life. He's a witness at the very moment, the providence of God, that God had, have you ever had those times in your life and you're like, there's no other way something could have happened, but God just ordained my day. And I had something happen this week in, in, in regards to interacting with someone. And I mean, God just put me right there, step at step. And I was like, this is amazing, Lord. I, I don't know why I'm here and, and I'm never here at this time. And there were certain things that transpired and I just said, what is going on? But God put me there. God put Gehazi there at just the right time that this woman walks in. They didn't didn't coordinate this, but God did. The bitter experience of losing, she, she was older, she had a son, he died, he was restored to life. Heartbreaking, awful tragedy. And there was a faith in God that had to be learned at that time. But that bitter tragedy was later on used to be the blessing to get her property back as a widow. You know what? We might be going through something right now that's very difficult. You might. And you're saying, God, I don't know why I'm going through this. But years down the road, maybe they'll understand. Maybe... As you think about this, our English word providence comes from two Latin words, pro and video, means to see ahead, to see before. What God had prearranged years before, all things work together for good to them that love God, right? Romans 8, 28. In what ways does God's providence interfere with our choice or responsibility for the choices we make and the consequences? I want to look at a couple passages of Scripture as we explore this idea of the providence of God. Your life, God has a a plan for your life. We deviate from it. We go aside from it. And, and, And you might be saying, Lord, I don't know why I'm in this situation. Why am I here? This is awful. Lord, why did you kill my son? I mean, I was older, I was, my husband and I, we didn't have any children, I, we were content. But why did I have to lose my son? Why did I have to go, th- I mean, God, don't even give me the hope of a son. I was happy before I had a son. Now you give me a son, and I was elated to have a child, so late in life. And then you took him from me. What are you doing, God? Can you sympathize with kind of that 
maybe not that same, but you can sympathize with sometimes God gives us a blessing and that blessing's removed from us and, and we're heartbroken. I mean, just utterly crushed. I can't imagine losing a child. I cannot imagine. In several passages of Scripture, 1 Chronicles 29.11, if you think about this, <clears throat> 1 Chronicles 29.11, we're going to look at a number, about six or seven passages here, but I, I kind of want to just park here on this thought for a moment, because, again, I've heard it said by professing believers, God helps those who help themselves. It's not that I'm doing a work and I'm going to tell God what he's going to do. That's the mentality if you make that statement. That I'm going to work hard and then God will help me. No. How about I work hard in the plan that God has given me to do? It's not me telling God. It's me getting from God as a good follower. We want to be a leader over God. Well, then if you want to be a leader over God, then you have a different God. Because it's not the God of the Bible. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as the head above all. So, he's the power, the glory, the victory. Yes, Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He's the God of this world. But he still, in Job, he still had to go to God to get permission to create the catastrophe in Job's life. You're thinking, well, what a horrible father to allow this for Job. Now, we read the end of Job, and we know that God multiplied him double. But Job learned a lot about God during that time. His friends would learn a whole lot about God. And their foolish understanding of God. I mean, they kind of, the friends of that, of the book of Job really are this kind of health, wealth, and prosperity. If you love God, then all good things will happen to you. But that's not the case. Sometimes you could love God, love him very much. You know, a lot of the old hymns were written at the times of great tragedy. And, and God can use the, the, the tragedy, and as you traverse through that tragedy to show what faith is like in hard times. Job 41.11 Who hath prevented me that I should repay him whatsoever is under the whole heaven is mine. <clears throat> I remember there was a, when I was finishing up my uh, ministry training and uh, there I was in, in school and I thought I was going to do a ministry one particular year, and I applied for it, and I was accepted. I was excited. Then I had to go through the interview process, and God shut that door in my face so hard. I was mad. Oh, I was mad. But I wouldn't be here today, here, if that hadn't happened. And I, to say, I mean, I, I have to say, I was, I was very angry. I was not I was not a very good Christian attitude on this. I was furious. But God had to show me something. I want to show you a few more passages. We'll look in the book of Psalms, Psalm 95. <clears throat> but in that very thing, who hath prevented me? Do you not ever think that maybe some things that are going on in your life could very well be 
And, and then there was also times in regards to relationships. I thought God would let me go down a particular relationship. And God closed that relationship and gave me better than had I started in that particular relationship. And I'm so thankful. We have a Father in heaven that knows what is best for us. And we get angry at God when we should be getting angry at ourselves for being angry at God and questioning the very thing that is the best for us. We don't understand, and because we don't understand, what do we do? We get angry. We get frustrated. We get mad. I throw God out the window. I'm done with God. I'm done with church. I'm done with Christian. Blah, blah, blah. You, know, they, you know, you go on. But in Psalm 95, 3, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his, and he made it. And his hands form the dry land. So again, the control of God. Psalm 135, 6. You know what? <clears throat> For the lost world that does not know Jesus Christ, they have no one to turn to. If they're going to turn to someone besides God, they're turning to, in a supernatural realm, they're turning to demons. They're turning to Satan. In, in a form of some religious system. But in Psalm 135, verse 6, Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and earth, and in the seas, and all deep places. God says, listen, this is how I want to form the earth. And he did it. Look at me at Psalm 139, 13. So, I mean, I'm using all of this in the providence of God that God orchestrates things in our lives. We're not a puppet. Now, that woman didn't have to go to the king at that exact moment. She didn't have to go. But she did. And there's Gehazi, and there's this woman. In the same courtroom, at the same time, the very man needed to corroborate her story as a witness would be a strength to the king to say, return all the land that's this lady's. Does not God know best? Psalm 139, verse 13 for thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. But God, I, I have this, ability, this disability, or God, I have this quirk about me. God says, it's wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee. When I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, thine eyes had seen my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned. When as yet there was none of them, he says, listen, God, you wrote all the members of my body, all the DNA, everything of my body before <laughs> I was even written about, before I was even known. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God, how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I wake, I'm still with thee. God says, listen, I created you, I formed you, I know what's best for you. And then in Daniel chapter 4, verse 35, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none shall stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? And Daniel, there's a questioning, why does God do this? Why does this nation rise up against this nation? You know, the whole pandemic, do you think that was a surprise to God? And we know the answer is no. 
It wasn't. Do you think God allowed it? Well, of course he did. Do you think God's allowing our nations to get more wicked? He's allowing it. He's allowing man to have the sin and now reaping the consequences of their decisions. So God writes, he has a plan for our lives. Now we have a choice to follow the plan or we have a choice to go our own way. Adam and Eve were given the plan. God knew what they would, you know, God knew them. God knew all about them. God created the earth. He's in charge of it all. His providence to create and go. But we have a choice to follow or to try to lead our own path. I want you to look with me at James chapter 4. Hebrews, James. James chapter 4. And this is much the vision and mindset of Westerners. And I would say, really, uh, most people in their lives. You have, when, when you have a little kid, and maybe they're in high school, and young kids, I guess I should say, not little, but young kids, uh, and uh, young adults, they have a plan for their life. Some do, some don't. But nevertheless, they still have a plan. And uh, James chapter 4, verse 13, Go to now ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city, and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor. It appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. You know what? I, I, I try to make it a practice. If someone says, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to meet you, Lord willing, we'll do that. You don't have to say that, but that means to be the mindset. I remember when I was in the military, I was in the Air Force, and they would say, the key to air, flexibility is the key to air power. <laughs> and, and that's one of the things, you know, living here in the north, I've also realized, you know what, I have a plan for the day, but time sometimes up here is just like, okay, boom. You know, I, I had one person one time, they called me at 10.15 on a Wednesday morning, and they said, hey, can you do my dad's viewing service? I said, absolutely. I said, when does it start? He said, today at 10 a.m. I said, it's 10.15. He said, I know. I'll be over at the funeral home in just a few minutes. I said, okay, here we go. Flexibility, right? You just, you just go with it. And, and God does that sometimes. But the fact is, we can get our plans set. And, and, and I know in maybe some of the bigger cities, this is more the mentality. I've got my schedule, and don't you mess up my schedule. And uh, God likes to sometimes undo that schedule. And I'm not saying don't have a schedule. It's a good thing to have a schedule. Because it's good to be disciplined and organized and all that. But I need to be willing if God reorients that day. Much like I had earlier this week. But what happened here in the palace of this woman in Gehazi? That God, the character of God, to prepare us for tumultuous, hard events that follow. And that woman would be spared, given her land back. She was spared from seven years' famine. She lost her land. Then she realized the goodness of God to give it back, as he ordained at just the right moment. Eventually, also, what will happen in the kingdom of here in the kingdom of Syria, Haziel will murder Ben-Hadad, the current king of Syria. Jehu will sweep through the land. He'll kill the kings, the princes, the pagan priests as he wipes out the house of Ahab and Jezebel and the worship of Baal. 
evil Queen Jezebel will be thrown over the wall up high on the tower. She'll be thrown down and the dogs will lick up her body. When Jehu comes back around, there's not going to be anything left but her bones. God is on the throne judging sin and fulfilling his world. Instead of thinking of all this idea of global warming and everything else, how about we just say God's on the throne? This whole idea of overpopulation, God knows who's here. God is still on the throne. So if I begin to get my mindset on what the world is saying and divorce from the word of God, I will not be in a good condition. He is a holy God, long-suffering of man. And that long-suffering means he bears up under much reproach or much hurt. He bears up. He suffers long, long long-suffering. He suffers long, great patience while he suffers pain. But there's going to come a point, and you know, as the evil of this world's perpetuating and all the wickedness and all this gender ideology and all this stuff is, is coming forth, which is against God, God continues to give humanity an opportunity to repent of their sins and come back to him. Life gets progressively harder. I want to look at a final passage of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 12, and then I'm going to have to conclude. But Hebrews chapter 12, and I'll be done here this morning. I hope this is encouragement to your heart. And you know what? Our, Our responsibility as a believer in all of this is I need to find the will of God. I need to know the mind of God for my life. I need to develop that relationship with God, which happens on a daily basis as I meditate on this book. And I'm not talking just reading, but I'm talking, I'm reading it, and I'm saying, God, I need the message that you have for me today. I feast on food. I eat the food that's in my pantry or that my wife puts or whatever the case, I'm eating some food. But I also need the spiritual food, and on a daily basis, I want to know what God's will is for today. You know what, I find it amazing. Many, 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 many mornings, I'll get up, I'll do my devotions that morning, and the very thing I needed that morning, the very thing I had got that morning out of the Word of God in my time with the Lord, I'll need later on that day. The very thing. And God brings it back to my remembrance. I said, thank you, Lord. I needed that. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25. And uh, see that you refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not... Who refused him that spake on earth much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. You're not going to get away from judgment of God if you turn away from him. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things which cannot be shaken remain. Wherefore we, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace... Whereby we may serve God, how? Acceptably, with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. The responsibility of the Christian is to serve God acceptably, trying to be pleasing in his sight, with reverence. He's not some buddy. He's not just some, hey, buddy old pal. He is the Lord of lords and King of kings. And he is a a daddy that can be close. But godly fears, I have a a great respect for who he is. That fear is not, 
much like in Greek mythology, that some, they're going to throw lightning down and strike you and all this fear and quaking. No, this godly fear is out of a respect and a love and adoration for him. I'm going to honor that name. And I'm going to try to please him in all that I do. And I'm going to leave the details of life to him. Let him figure out the difficulties. Because I don't know the future. You don't know the future. None of us know the future, other than what the Bible tells us in the future. But I don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know what tomorrow holds. We have an idea what it might, but we don't know. So rather than being consumed with the worry and fear of life, get back to the position of the providence of God that he allows things in my life for a purpose. And he puts people there for a purpose so I can have a close relationship with him and I can continue to show to others how wonderful he is. God did that with a widow woman, with her son. In a time, her and her husband at the time, she wasn't widowed, but at a time of tragedy would later on become a time of great triumph. As you think upon these truths this morning, we'll bring it to a close, but I trust that was an encouragement. And uh, we'll talk again next time about the the wickedness of the human heart on uh, uh, August 13th when I'm returning. But uh, just as you think on the truths here, I, I just trust you've been encouraged to know that, listen, yes, Satan's doing a lot of evil. Yes, people do a lot of wickedness. The only thing you need to worry about is are you doing God's will? Leave the rest to God. Do all that he's called you to do. Be responsible and let God take care of history and the future. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. And Father, I thank you for the encouragement from your word as we just read over and over, Lord, you, you created humans. You created this earth in the ways exactly as you wanted. And, uh, Father, you're in control. And our responsibility as believers is to let you lead and direct our lives. Our lives and our responsibility is to know you. To live in reverence and godly fear of you. And, Father, may we have such a love of you that it would break our heart if we were ever unpleasing, displeasing. And so, God... You take over. Help us, Lord. Help those who are maybe struggling at this time, questioning some things. Lord, just help them to trust that you're in control. Father, I love you. Thank you for this day. In your precious name I pray. Amen. God bless you.